podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We're pleased to announce that this season, the Spurs show is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every single televised Spurs fixture over the 23-24 season. And with more than 900 sports pubs across the UK, it doesn't matter whether you're based in Tottenham or Tyneside. You can catch every single minute of the action. Keep an eye out during the season for events, offers, content and competitions that put you closer to the action. And if you can't get a ticket for this week's game at Bournemouth, and let's face it, it's a very small stadium, why not catch it on Sky Sports in the next best place? A Green King pub. Well, hello, Spurs fans around the world. Theo Delaney here from North London, uh, welcoming a panel, a really illustrious panel of guests to talk about all things Tottenham Hotspur and what's going on. And my goodness, what a lot to talk about and what a feeling of excitement there is. I can see it in the eyes of all the guests (laughs) and certainly I can feel it coursing through my own veins. The white blood in my veins is pumping through after the weekend's events. First of all, let me introduce you to our panel. Welcome back, Chris Paros. How are you? I'm really good. I'm uh, still buzzing from Saturday. A little bit less so from yesterday, but we won't talk about that. Okay, right. Uh, Paul Hawksby's back. How are you, Paul? Good, thanks, Theo. Yeah, nice to see you. Nice optimistic one. When I said yes to this, I didn't know what the score was going to be. So uh, I'm, no. I'm pleased I'm here. You just never know. And we are honoured, we are absolutely honoured to be in the presence of a Tottenham legend, a Tottenham great. Mr Tony Galvin has come back to us. Good evening, Tony. Good evening. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. And um, along with Paul, it's a great time to come on. Perfect. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, normally what I've been doing these first couple of shows, I see I've been doing a sort of an agenda at the top and a sort of vo- a VO agenda, but there is no agenda really necessary this time because I'm overexcited about one thing, and that is the 90 minutes, or it's probably more like 105 minutes, we witnessed on on Saturday, which we've all been hinting at here. Tottenham Hotspur dispatched Manchester United 2-0 in a game that was really gripping i felt from start to finish the first half was gripping the second half was more than gripping it was it was deeply joyous and rewarding uh and ball really has arrived and he is absolutely almost to the letter living up to his billing chris what did you make of it I mean, you just started off there with that, uh, Theo. Like, Ange Ball is here and it's glorious. The thing that I loved the most about it was that seeing us try to win, not just not lose. Mm. <laughs> That's all I've wanted in the last few years is to see us actually go out there and play some football. The midfield three was, like, top quality. We ran all over them. Um it felt like we were almost too powerful before we even started playing football. And we were really good both with and without the ball. And they set the tempo, those that midfield three. I thought it was ex- excellent. And, you know, just giving the ball off to Madison and you could sort of see that both in terms of driving runs, but also in seeing a pass and not being afraid to do something interesting. I thought Udogi was incredible. Um, you know, sort of technically excellent. And he also knows where he should be. And at 20, I'm really excited. And I think that was the other thing. And 
and Ange said it himself, it's a young team. So, you know, yeah. it's not always going to be perfect. Um, but I think we are going to get some fun back. And that's all I, that was my objective for the season was to have a little bit more fun. And I go with my 13 year old nephew and he's had a miserable time the last three or four years. And he was smiling as we left the stadium on Saturday. And that was good enough for me. Yeah. I mean, well said. Uh, It was a revelation, really. In fact, you know what? It made me realise how bad it had been in a strange sort of way because it was so good. You suddenly thought, oh, yeah, this is what I used to like about football. This is what what I enjoy. Tony, what what impressed you most? Well, I wasn't at the game, so I only picked up highlights. I was uh, at my daughter's 40th uh, birthday party. So um, what I saw was, like um, has already been said, a team that goes out from minute one to be sort of on the front foot, taking the game to the opposition. And obviously, playing like that, you are going to give opportunities away. And um, in the first half, I thought they stuck with it quite well. Um, But second half, really, uh, did you use the phrase, overran? Man United looked like a team that were struggling physically. The um, Spurs overran them. Mm. looked like too many legs, too quick for them. And um, at the end of it, it's just nice to beat Manchester United at home. It's a few years since we've won at home yeah. against Man United. I mean, yeah. I've been to a couple of Man United away games. We've been pretty poor. So mm. it's nice to beat what is a very big club, a team that's expected to finish in the top four, minimum. So mm. a fantastic result. Yeah. I mean, it, it felt like, like I said, it felt like totally unfamiliar. It, it suddenly reminded me, of what football, what's great about football, it, it reminded me what how bad it has been under Mourinho and Conte. But one of the things was, I mean, that, that thing about overrunning them was about that youthful exuberance and having the legs. Also, he used the bench well as well, didn't he, to bring fresh legs on at the end. But actually, when I thought about it afterwards, it's really it's got more than half a new defence when you when you think of the uh, goalkeeper who was great, wasn't he? It's got a completely new midfield, really, even though uh, Basuma and and uh, Sarah have been around for a while, but they've never got really got a look. And they were, I thought they were incredibly, when you looked at how good they were, how badly were they treated by Conti? Because Sarah mm. actually had a couple of amazing games under Conti and then was yes, promptly yeah. dropped and we never saw him again for weeks or months on end. Basuma, he seemed to just take against and basically bad mouthed him, said he wasn't, said he was too stupid to understand his <laughs> tactics. Basuma looks the absolute opposite of a stupid footballer. He looks like an incredibly astute midfield general to me. Paul, were you su- are you surprised at how quickly and and you know, needless to say, like all Tottenham fans, every now and then we're just gonna have to say, let's not get carried away here. But were you surprised how quickly Ange has got a tune out of all these new players and a coherent tune at that? Yeah, I've been impressed with that, and I've been impressed with as it's, it's a new team and it's a young team, and they've had very, very little time to to get to grips with what he wants, but they seem to be getting a handle on it pretty quickly. Uh, one, one of the things I've really liked is in the two Premier League games is how different we've been in the second half, which clearly means he's looking at what's happening in the first and reacting to it and doing something about it in the second. I mean, Sonny wasn't getting involved in the first half. That was pretty clear. More or less from the off in the second half, he was seeing more of the ball. I mean, he isn't he isn't a winger and he is looking slightly lost out there getting chalk on his boots. And it's going to take him a while to get to get used to this system. But in the second half, he was coming in more. He was more involved. Kulosevsky was more involved. Apparently, I was reading today that Mila Jedinak is up with the uh, 
with the boffins in the stands watching the game and they're feeding it back in sort of real time to uh, to the bench and then talking about it at half time. So I've been impressed with how he's spotting stuff and moving quickly and changing things around that he needs to. And, and it's positive because both second halves, we've dominated Brentford and Manchester United. Yeah, I mean, in the first halves, in both games, particularly on Saturday, it could have gone wrong, couldn't it? Uh, somebody hmm. told me today that on the XG, we actually were we were, we were beaten on XG in both games. It just shows you what a load of nonsense it is, I suppose. <laughs> but it just shows you. But one of the things about Ange Ball is he will take risks and the other team will hmm. get chances. Yeah. Uh, but United... What was interesting was the psychology of it, wasn't it? Because United created a lot of chances, particularly in the first half, didn't put them away, and it was the relentlessness of Tottenham that basically, in the end, they were this, they seemed demoralised, didn't they? Which is a which is great to see. It's great to see Manchester yeah. United demoralised by a Tottenham team that's, in many ways, been thrown together. A lot of these players have only played a couple of games, so we didn't even have much of a preseason. What we won and one thing and another. Do you think, Paul, though, that we should brace ourselves for times where... Because there's a certain amount of good fortune involved when you're losing on the XG hmm. chance. Do you think we should brace ourselves for a couple of uh, reverses? I mean, we've seen, them, we've seen them go behind already. We saw that last week and the way they yeah. were able to bounce back. So, I mean, look, it may have been different. If Bruno had scored that header, uh, maybe it would have been different. They would have got a bit more of a foothold in the game. Yeah, we are going to ride our luck at times. You say it's high-risk football. I saw Van der Van de Ven was saying today, you know, yeah, it's high-risk, but what's football without risk? And it's quite it's quite nice. I mean, yeah. you know, to dare is to do is there for a reason. So yeah, yeah. it's nice to see the players buying into it. And he's going to buy players in that image. And the fact that we scored the first goal and we didn't sit back on it at any point, we decided – the best form of defence was to go and get a second goal. Yeah. And if yeah, yeah. it's got, it's going to be exciting. There will be times when we get caught out playing it around at the back. But, you know, I think we're just going to have to suck it up. And I felt, I was saying to my friend at the game, if this ends 1-1, I'll still go away from here happy because oh, yeah. I've kind of seen, you know, it's very early days and I've seen potentially the future. And the fact it was 2-0 was dreamland, of course. Yeah. How surprised were you, Chris, by the starting lineup? Because after they played so well at Brentford, I thought they played really well at Brentford. And I don't think Brentford, I, I mean, it, I think getting a point at Brentford, almost any team would be pleased with that, at, at playing well at the same time. So it seemed, I think everyone was taken aback that he dropped two players. Uh, he dropped um, Emerson Royale and Skip, and he brought in Porro and uh, Saar. And then also the fact that he's, he brought in Porro, who is by reputation, you know, Emerson Royale is a, is the defense is the one who's defensively strong, and Porro is the one who's stronger going forward, but is defensively suspect. And you suddenly think, well, we're playing Man United, and he's gone in with a more gung ho team, and he, and you might almost argue that Skip's more of a defensive player than Sar as well. Were you surprised by that, Chris? I think I brought my own biases to it because I was, I suppose, I was surprised that Porro was in there just because I thought Emerson had such a had such a good game actually against Brentford. Yeah. And yeah. that, and even though if, if he's not supposed to be the swashbuckling one, you know, scored a goal, have found himself in centre midfield thanks to the that inverted system on several occasions, and again looked like he was living his best life. So I thought actually off the back of that, he probably would have found himself in the team. I was really pleased to see Papasar though in the midfield for the reasons that you just you set out earlier, Theo. It's like we saw him a couple of times last season, and he looked good. That's nothing against Skip, but I think he's a different kind of player he's got a different 
engine, if you like. And I liked that he was buzzing around. He was in different places. He wasn't afraid to try something. Um, and, I, you know, again, for a young man, I think he's really exciting. So, I, I you know, I'd like to see him in that position, to be honest. Um, you know, being on the end of that, um, at the end of Decky's Cross, I was pleased for Kulisevsky as well, because, you know, my one worry for him this season has been that um, the rest of the Premier League knows who he is now. So yeah. actually, like, making sure that he can kind of bring something. And I th- again, but I think exactly as Paul said there, you know, the the uh, management team obviously looked at it and decided what they were going to do differently. And you could see that play out in the second half. So, I mean, I guess the other thing about those two changes is that we should have two players for every position. So imagine if we do actually have two good players for every position and we can interchange yeah. them because they know what they know what they're doing and they know what their their role is in the way that we play. Yeah. I mean to me it feels a bit like Poch times when Poch had them all front foot. It was a young team. They were full of enterprise and confidence. They took risks and when we were really in peak potch, we did have two great players for each position. I mean, you mentioned Udogi earlier. What? I mean, he's finally, we look like, again, it's early days, but we finally look like we might have replaced Danny Rose. I mean, he's about the sixth contestant to do so, but I mean, he actually looks like Danny Rose. He looks like, you know, someone who is strong, quick, athletic, and he can do it all. You know, he's going to, he's a really tough, tough proposition if you're going to try and beat him but you can get forward and put crosses in and stuff that was great to see we'll talk more about that we're going to do a second show this week which will be the Bournemouth preview and that will allow us to wax lyrical and indulge ourselves and talk more about the personnel and what's happened but I wanted to talk about a couple of things a couple of other things Tony in particular I wanted to talk about your book which is the brilliantly titled Galvanized what a brilliant title when is your book out Tony? Well, the book's been out um, a couple of months already, so um, it's not actually a brand new book. We wanted to get it out before the start of the season, yeah. which we did. Um, the book obviously isn't just about me or me playing for Tottenham. Um, it's all, it's also about my brother. So the, the book essentially is about two brothers whose careers go in slightly different directions. One brother who was older was Chris who was desperate to be a professional footballer from a very young age, signed for Leeds United and their pomp when Don Revy was manager, but struggled to break into what was an outstanding team. Um, So he left and and sought his career elsewhere. And about another person, another brother, me, who didn't, couldn't, wasn't really remotely interested in playing professional football. I was at university playing part-time football and, um, just things happened in certain ways and sort of, you know, maybe I was a bit lucky. Um, I was fortunate enough to be um, watched by Bill Nicholson for a half of a game and he decided to sign me for Tottenham. Um, so I had a choice later on in my life to sign for Tottenham. I was 22 at the time. Um, and obviously my brother was yeah. sort of, there's a bit of envy in the book, a little bit of a brotherly sort of, you know, people not quite sure about, well, I don't know if I, I want him to succeed, but maybe I'm not so sure. Um, yeah. So it's just get it out here. I was, it's a Tottenham Spurs podcast, but it's not just about Tottenham. There's a lot of Tottenham in there. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, well, of course, about, because you spent the bulk of about the past, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Paul, you've read it, haven't you? 
I have. Yeah, Tony was a guest on the show, so uh, I really enjoyed it. It's very interesting. I, I've got to be honest, I didn't know about Chris. Obviously, I know Tony's career very well, yeah. but I never yeah. knew about Chris's career at all. You know, to be you know on the cusp, you know, be with this sort of next in line in a great uh, Leeds team of the early seventies. Yeah. And I mean, he's very honest, Tony, isn't he, Chris? He he does admit. Yeah. I mean, people say you're jealous. Yeah. So he says, "I am," and it's that classic thing of wanting yeah. something so so much. And then another brother like Tony, who, who kind of, he could take it or leave it. Maybe it was a fact he was so relaxed about that initially, yeah. meant he could perform in that way without, you know, any restrictions, any nerves and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And what was the alternative? What was his alternative career in the end? Who's mine? Chris, no, Chris's. Well, no, I mean, Chris, Chris played football all his life. Yeah. And but then professionally. Yeah, yeah, he played, uh, he was seven years, when he left um, Leeds United because he couldn't get into the team, you know, um, he signed for Terry Neal uh, at Hull City. Obviously, we all know Terry, don't we? I'm looking around, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really a, yeah. Uh, gentleman. Um, so he, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so seven, yeah. Okay, so seven years at Hull City, then he went to Stockport a couple of years and he finished up playing in Hong Kong. Before right. you know, before that football yeah. in that part of the world had really taken off, so yeah. uh, so he, he had a professional footballing career. And your relationship during your so you had parallel careers; they were they were going yeah. on at the same time, but you just playing yeah. at a much higher level. And there was there, I mean, obviously there was there's un, unsaid uh, tension as a result of that. But was there any uh, friction on the surface between you that, as a result of that? Well, what happens is that we were in different parts of the country and then obviously yeah. later Chris was quite a long way away from me. He was in Hong Kong. And um, so we didn't really sort of see a lot of each other. So if there was any tension, I was slightly oblivious to it all. Um, it was all happening within Chris's household. So, um, But obviously later on, we spent more, spend more, much, much more time together and talked about it. You know, mm. as brothers should do. Yes. And then I became aware that it was a problem. And um, now we sort of have a very good relationship. Mm. Uh, we see each other regularly. Mm. Um, that's all in the past. And um, we, we look forward together. So it's good. So this sounds like a, a football book with a difference and uh, quite a modern mm. football book because what you're talking about is familial relationships and yeah. psychology in a way and things like that. So yeah, so um, it sounds like a very modern take on a football book, which is great. It, there are shades about your story that remind me of uh, Pat Nevin, who came on my Life Goals podcast recently, right. who was also a winger, who also didn't really... He was yeah. like, yeah, I quite like playing football, but I'm not that bothered, you know. I remember you telling me, Tony, when you arrived at Tottenham, I said, what must... That must have been incredible for you because you're walking into by that time there were superstars in that dressing room. Yeah, I said it absolutely. Must have been so so daunting for you. You must have felt so intimidated when you walked into that dressing room and you said, I didn't give a monkeys. I just I said, What whatever what are you gonna do? I mean, I'm here, yeah, so what? I mean, you're not gonna intimidate me. And I just thought that was a very Yorkshire thing. And I think Pat Nevin had that as well. Yeah. And that was probably reflective of your whole Approach towards football, which contrasted obviously with your brothers, would you say? Well, there's always that thing about um, when people talk about going into a dressing room with very famous players, but the person who who, who dictates who's in the dressing room is the manager. Yeah. And the manager has, has basically said to you, well, you're good enough to be in that team or you're playing in this position mm. for a particular reason. 
So, you know, they can say what they like, but you're yeah. there because the manager decided you're there. In, in that case, it was Keith. Yeah. He decided he wanted me to play in a particular position in that team. Yeah. He, I filled a gap. That's what he thought. So the other players sort of had to accept it. It's just the way it was. Yeah, and of course they did very quickly because because the really the way to demonstrate that you're worth your place is by playing well, isn't it? And you were, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's a long time ago, but to me, you were one of those final pieces in a fantastic jigsaw yeah. that the, the, the team that it ended up to one of our greatest sides, you know, that early eighties team. But there was a vacancy that you filled, you know, brilliantly on that on that uh, flank. Yeah, one one of the things that I could do, which maybe some of the players in that team couldn't do so well, I could run a lot. Mm, yes. Some yeah. of the players in that team could run, but maybe <laughs> they didn't run a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And one or, one or two unnamed players, well, their <laughs> name them on this podcast. No. But we're very good at running forward. Yeah. When you when they had to run the other direction towards their own yeah. guns, all of a sudden, oh my word, they, they're not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. sometimes it can be as simple as that. And that that's just a mental thing, obviously. Yeah, if you can run yeah. one way quickly. You could certainly run the other way quickly. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing about you and you and Bill Nicholson, uh, or you and Keith Berkshire rather, had in common was that it was you had a certain northern. You, you you saw things in pretty simple and stark terms, and you also probably said things in pretty simple and stark terms, as you just have there, right? For premium content, including a daily news show, ex-player interviews, and original documentary series on Spurs, go to Patreon.com forward slash Spurs show and support our show in the process. We've got new Spurs show merchandise, by the way, including T-shirts with a kangaroo instead of a cockerel on. And not just T-shirts, all sorts of other bits and bobs. Great stuff. Uh, Check them out. And our monthly London live shows return next month. Sign up and join us at season.spursshow.net. The lineup will be announced shortly. Follow us on Facebook X, as they now call it, and Instagram. And please leave us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. And do check out Tony Galvin's book, Galvanised. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill would, I don't think, uh, obviously Bill was the person responsible for me signing. Yeah. I don't think all, all the times he came and talked to me after a game or I saw him briefly in a corridor when he was chief scout. I don't remember him ever saying to me, you played well or... I was very impressed. It was, yeah, not bad. Keep yeah. it going. Yeah. You know, you're in the right direction. There yeah. was nothing like that. And obviously, if you ever talk to Steve Perriman, that's all he ever says. You know, you never, with Bill, you sort of never really get that. Yeah. And if almost to be said you'd done really well, you were a bit unnerved, thought maybe he's going yeah. to transfer on this next Mind week. games. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> So. Well, uh, Cliff Jones has got that uh, also a winger, of course, yeah. but pre- predecessor of yours has that famous story where where Bill Nicholson pats him on the back after a, after a that's game right. as he's coming off, and he turns around to Bill and says, "You pat me on the back, Bill. That's never happened before." And he went, "Hey, be careful, son. A pat on the back's only inches away from a kick up the ass. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get carried away." That's a very <laughs> true story. I've heard that a few times. It's yeah, yeah, me word. too. I always <laughs> like it though. I yeah, always it's like a good it. One. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading this book. As I say, I like the fact that it's, I mean, obviously there's lots to to love about it if you're a football fan, but it was obviously has got that modern take on the psychology of, of brother. I've got lots of brothers. with. I've got complex relationships. Some of them, Paul knows one of them. 
They're very, yeah. Some of them are very strange. And yeah, <laughs> they're so strange they support West Ham. Yeah, exactly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's let's just talk about something off the pitch because what was interesting about Saturday, I felt, was that um, it's a it's an amazing time. Football is so is endlessly and Tottenham Hotspur is endlessly gripping because it's like a. It's like yeah. a, it's a saga, basically, isn't it? And you've got this mm. off the field saga with Levy and all the people who are, in, who are absolutely antagonised by Levy and Enoch and all the business yeah. stuff that goes on. And then you've got not not in any way unrelated, but you've got this sort of separate thing, which is what's going on on the pitch. And what we know is that if things go well on the pitch, the pressure goes off yeah. Levy, regardless of whether he's changing his behaviour or what he's doing off the pitch. He just the pressure goes off. So on Saturday we had that strange thing. We're playing Man United at home. It's only the second game of the season. Nobody knows how it's going to go. We could have, we you know, could have gone and got beat three nil or something. But before the game, there's that quite well attended, well organised. I thought protests about ticket prices. Uh, the trust doing good work. Saying very clearly, look, we're not Enoch out and all that stuff. We're just we we go issue by issue, and on this this yeah. issue, we 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 feel like words have got to be said. They put the prices up, and lots of people are saying now that it's. I mean, it, I mean, it doesn't. It, it's obvious, self evident that it's incredibly hard, incredibly financially prohibitive if you've got a family of say four yeah. to go to see Tottenham Hotspur but you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of pounds by the time you tot it all up and one of the hashtag slogans they've got is stop exploiting loyalty how do you think uh Chris how do you think the board will see that or do you think they think we're getting away with this we're going to get away with this as soon as, as long as we keep winning I think it's hard I mean I, I can't sort of um Look, I haven't got crystal ball to look into to see how the board are going to be responding to it. But I think what's important is, as you say, it's like this is a specific issue mm. that's about what the our football club is going to look like in, in years to come. You know, mm. I talked about my, nef- my nephew earlier, and it really matters because you don't want people to be priced out. Mm. Uh, my uncle first took me to Spurs I take my nephew I hope that one day he can take his family and that stuff is generational and if you can't if you don't build those habits then you know it will become a tourist destination which is fine I'm not you know I think it's great that you know if you're a tourist and you come to London you come to Spurs because you get the best experience you're going to get of any football club Mm. Um, but actually one of the reasons why the Premier League is so successful is because the product, in inverted commas, on the television and the thing that you, that it makes a lot of money from broadcast rights is because you've got fans in the stadium that live and breathe that stuff. Mm. You know, I talk mm. to those fans who are in America, in Australia, everywhere, and that's the thing that they aspire to, to come to the stadium to be part of that atmosphere. And that's because the majority... I mean, I, I first went, I said this before we started, my first game was in 1980, Tony scored a goal, you know, and I, you know, I'm slightly sort of still a bit starstruck sat here on a podcast with Tony. And I yeah. think and I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And, you know... I, and I want that to continue. So um, I think that the three asks that the trust have got, I think, are important. So, you know, there are, and it's, you know, campaign stuff, three things that they want to see done, a reversal of the match day ticket price increase because, you know, there is a cost of living crisis out there. And I appreciate that you, it's a choice to buy football tickets, but we know that this isn't like a consumer product like any other. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't go, oh, 
I might go to West Ham. You just said West Ham there, Paul. I'm not going to say I'm going to go to West Ham this week because it's a bit cheaper as it might Mm. be going to Aldi rather than going to Tesco. It's Mm. a very different relationship. So a reversal of the the increases, a commitment to genuine input on all pricing discussions and consultation, including stuff around junior, young adult and senior ticketing policies. So I think the concessions are another interesting um, topic that we have to address. And then a guarantee of no pricing increases for the 24-25 season you know it's a small percentage ticket prices of the overall revenue we've got we've got a stake in it we create part of that atmosphere so this is our share is not having to pay extortionate ticket prices so yeah i think you know all credit to the trust for driving this and i think it's really 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 important i think i think that's a good point i think that's very important i I think your point your point chris about um, wanting to regenerate the fan base. I mean, you don't get, if it was, I mean, I'm sure the club sometimes think, okay, well, if he doesn't take his ticket, someone else will. Yeah. Um, but if you've got a stadium full of tourists, you'd yeah. never get the atmosphere we got at the weekend. The atmosphere was fantastic. You heard the players and the managers, everybody responded. There was a kind of feel-good sort of nature of it, and it was very noisy, noisy that it's been at Tottenham for a long time. And I think we were a bit 12th man at the weekend. You don't get that if people are just rocking along to see what the stadium looks like. Yeah. I think the point that, that's been made about ticket prices are a small percentage of what a, a, a top Premier League club take in. And I can't see the point. I can't see the benefit in just putting a, another 10 or £20 pound on a ticket. I can't see what you get back for that. All you ever do is antagonise loyal supporters and you're just mm. going to wind them up i don't really get it because it's it's such a small amount of what the club take it's yeah. i mean surely they don't want to deliberately alienate people who've been going all their lives yeah and it, it's just something i can't get my head around at all why they it, do it it, it, really, it seems like know. so often you see it they seem to be running it on a kind of spreadsheet profit and loss basis rather than appreciating those things i think it's so key that the product i mean you know premier league's one of the biggest exports yeah. in the world entertainment exports in the world i mean i was sitting with my mate who i've sat with at tottenham for over 30 years now and as we, just before it kicked off i said this is amazing isn't it to be here there are people watching this millions and millions and millions of people right now live in all four every continent on earth sitting down mm. excited in bars and living rooms and gardens and God knows what. And we're here. We're part of it. But the, the key thing is about it is the Premier League are pretty cute. And they know that point that you made, Chris, is that the – in fact, we've all made it. But the, the, the thing is the atmosphere and the partisan atmosphere, you know, that home end, the stadium was built for that. That home mm. end was specifically built for that, that one tier. The acoustics, I mean, credit to, we gave great credit to Levy for making, for prioritising those things. So you just think, why on earth don't you see that? Mm. And why for that small amount of money, Tony, as you say, it's only a small amount of, why can't you realise that for a couple of million quid extra in this multi, multi-million pound business, yeah. you can preserve that. You can make that part of the, retain that. Because if all clubs, because what, what it smacks of is, I think, you know, Levy is by nature an economist and he's just, he's looking for the optimum price. He's looking at a graph where two lines cross where you get optimum price, i.e. you sell the stadium out and you maximise the revenue. But there's a third yeah. line, which is the atmosphere and the quality of the thing you then sell on 
to advertisers and to television stations. And it's as if they haven't quite grasped the third line. And that's because you you rather suspect it's a kind of grey accountant's sort of approach to it. And I just wonder how, do, do they ever come on to talk sport, Paul, and talk about these and defend these decisions? No, we talk about silent Stan at Arsenal. He's obviously silent Daniel. They never, they never do. It's often the trust uh, will come on and talk about the situation, but never. There's never any club representation. They never. The only way they really engage is just kind of written statements yeah. on the club website. So yeah. no, you never, you never, you never hear why directly from the club. They're making the uh, the decisions that they are. I mean, what's interesting about these particular price increases is when they when they announced the season ticket price increases, mm. we were in the middle of one of the worst spells mm. of football and results yeah. that we could ever remember. And the fans, so it's like I said earlier, it's what happens on the pitch that really uh, dictates the fans' attitude towards the mm. board as more than anything else. And and he, oh, they, they didn't, they they didn't, didn't put dare to get prices up this That's year. That's what I'm saying. They? they didn't dare no. because at that yeah. point... They, we were in such disarray on the pitch. The fans were already up mm. in arms, and you know this is this club's gone to pot. This this board doesn't know how to run a football club. They've got they have got no clue. It's, and they think, Christ, we, we've got we've got to we've got to announce the season ticket prices. We better freeze them. And it was as if that because Ange had got on board and people started getting a bit more optimistic and everything. Harry Kane hadn't gone yet. There was still a there's still a chance of him saying, right now we're going to announce the match day ticket prices. Dare we charge more? For the match day ticket prices on a on a you know on a match by match basis than we do for the season ticket holders. They never used to, they've never done that before, not in my memory mm. anyway. And they think no. let's take the opportunity. So it's almost like opportunism, isn't it? They've they've mm. just thought, yeah, let's do it now while there's a bit of feel good, in the same way that they didn't dare do it when the when it was feel bad. It's disappointing <laughs> that they won't um justify and it's disappointing there isn't a way of holding them to account i think the tracy crouch thing about putting fans on boards and regulators and things like that are about that aren't they because football clubs now are owned by extremely rich individuals and groups of individuals who are making vast amounts of money for themselves i mean you know the levy debate is a complex one he's done some amazing things for our club i i I do believe that the stadium and the training ground and everything but he has got extremely rich in the process. And the fact yeah, that he can make this thing, though, like to that, that, not that is justify a, it. Listen to Manchester United supporters. Yeah. And the one thing that you can say about the current ownership of our, of our club is they don't take money out of the club. They haven't riddled yeah. the club with debt. Absolutely. Or, yeah. You know, and all of that. And I think, you know, in that sense, it's kind of in safe hands. Oh, I appreciate yeah. all the other things we've talked about, but, you know, like you look at what, what happens at other football clubs and we're lucky in that sense. Mm. No, I totally agree. And that's why I say it's a complex issue. And that's why, I, you know, the trust don't say you're Enoch out, Enoch out. I certainly don't say Enoch out because what's the alternative? And it could be someone like the Glazers. It could be a load of, um, you know, decapitating homophobes from yeah. some some foreign power. It could be anything. I mean, you know, you don't know what you're going to get. So it's better, that, you know, in many ways, it's better than the devil you know. So, and as I say, he's done some incredible things. I mean, actually, you know, those of us who've had to do his story, you know, I've had to make films on the history of Tottenham Hotspur. It's the, you know, in the whole history of Tottenham Hotspur, somebody who built the best stadium in the world and the best training ground in Europe, you'd normally expect them to get a statue outside sooner or later, you know. So, yeah, it's complicated. And um, uh, it's, but, but on this issue, you just think they're shooting themselves in the foot a little bit, I think, anyway. Um, you know what we're going to do? We're going to wrap it up because later in the week there will be another show, and, it, and we, uh, which will be a preview show of the 
next game, which is Bournemouth away. Could it be a banana skin? Possibly. Well, <laughs> so until then... Yeah, that's the point. Yes. And don't don't, don't talk them off supposed to Don't get too carried away. Absolutely yeah. right. Uh, you know, yes. Absolutely. Enjoy Saturday. Stick that into Latin. Three days and now don't get carried away. I yeah. personally think it's a great game at the weekend and yeah. um, I fully expect them to win. Great. All right. Well, we'll talk about that in more detail in a, in the next show. Before that, I'd just like to thank you all, Chris, Paul, Tony. Don't forget, everyone, Tony's book, Galvanised, more than your average football book, that's for sure. That is out. I recommend that. Paul's read it and he highly recommends it. Uh, Good for read. Now, we'll be back later in the week. But for now, the other lady here in North London saying, come on, you Spurs. If you want to advertise on or sponsor this show, check us out at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.